Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to The Wild Initiative Podcast Network. Learn more and check out all the shows at thewildinitiative.com. listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, where we talk all things fishing, conservation, and the outdoors. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jay Scott, host of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. All right, welcome to episode number two of the Fish Untamed podcast. Today I'm talking to someone who's probably familiar to most of you, and that's Jay Scott from the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, Jay spends a lot of his time hunting down in Arizona, but he also spends his summers up here in Colorado fly fishing. So uh, we had a great time talking about some of the larger rivers in central Colorado and floating them with some of the local guide services and the world-famous salmon fly hatch that happens here every June. So if you've ever considered coming out to Colorado to hit some of those larger rivers, uh, like the Roaring Fork or the Eagle, uh, or if you've ever wanted to come out and hit the salmon fly hatch in June, uh, this will be a great one for you. So without further ado, here's my chat with Jay Scott. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to coming on with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I uh, I appreciate it. I don't know if you remember me, but I had messaged you on Instagram back in the day asking for elk hunting sure. tips. So <laughs> Yeah. How did that go? Um, I didn't get any, but I did have a couple encounters, which I considered a success for my first year out. Awesome. Are you still at it? Still doing it? Yeah. Um, I have a rifle tag, a first season rifle tag this year, and then uh, archery deer starting next weekend. So Oh, awesome. Looking forward to that. Awesome. Now, where are you living? I'm in Lakewood, so just outside okay. Denver. Cool. Um, I'm pretty familiar with the area that you live in um, during the summer, like over, yeah. I think over in the Carbondale Basalt Eagle area. Am I right? So, yeah. 
um, kind of between Carbondale and Basalt, which is about halfway between uh, Glenwood Springs and Aspen, and uh, right here in the Roaring Fork Valley. So uh, yeah, I get a lot of really good fishing. We had high water this year, so um, it was it was an interesting year for sure. Yeah, I uh, usually do at least one or two trips over to like the frying pan and the Roaring Fork each year, but I didn't go this summer. We're thinking about going this fall, but how was it this summer after such a snowy winter? You, you know, once once the water came down, which, you know, to be honest, it really didn't get what I would call fishable and kind of the levels that I like until probably about August 1st, uh, which is crazy. Usually we're fishing, you know, last week of June. Um, it was really, really good. Um, so it, it was hard to wait that long. You know, I wanted to go and fish right here in my home waters, uh, but was able to go to the green multiple times and catch an amazing cicada hatch there and uh, did the Gunnison Gorge, which was fantastic and, and the Eagle and a bunch of other different rivers. So it was a little bit of an interesting year as far as just timing, you know, wanting to get out there sooner um, and kind of had to wait. I was like a little bit of a cooped up dog, but uh, yeah, once it started, it was fun. And probably going to last pretty late into the fall then too. Yeah. You know, um, I got to head over to the Ot six ranch uh, here, September 1st. So Saturday morning, uh, but quite honestly, probably some of the best fishing of the year is, you know, going to be over the next 60 days. So uh, pretty neat to come off a year last year where it was so dry and droughty to, you know, such a great snowfall year. Um, you know, it's great for the fish. It's great for everything. The water is just, um, just awesome. Have you been over to the ranch at all so far? Yeah. So I've been over there. So I got back from my Gould's turkey hunting in May and we, we come from Arizona around May 15th and, and we're here for the summers. Uh, I was over there June, July, and August. So I made uh, several trips over there, checking trail cameras and just checking conditions. Uh, interesting. It's been, I don't know about where you've been, but such a dry August. Uh, August has been, you know, very, very dry, not only in Arizona, but pretty much everything that happens down there kind of moves up here the next day or two. And, you know, here in the Roaring Fork Valley, it's just been virtually no rain at all. And then over there at the Ot 6 Ranch, very, very dry. Now conditions look pretty good in the high country, but kind of down by the ranch house and some of the lower country, uh, it's, it's pretty dry, uh, you know, but uh, we had a great winter, so that's, I can't complain. Yeah. We were just talking about that. I think yesterday here, how, um, all through June and July, we were like, this feels like spring, which we usually don't even get much of a spring out here. And we're like, everything's so green. And then yesterday we were like, it hasn't rained in, you know, a couple of weeks and it was raining every day for months, it seemed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's made the hopper fishing actually really, really good. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll get those big rains and kind of knocks those hoppers down, but you know, August that hasn't rained hardly at all, uh, literally here at all that the Roaring Fork Valley, the fish are actually eating hoppers on the fork, which is not, I mean, I would say I haven't caught a ton of fish in years past on hoppers, but a lot of that too, is that I'm not fishing, you know, August 25th because the water's come down. Now mm -hmm. it's at great levels. And so they are still eating hopper. They're eating hoppers right now. Mm -hmm. So just for a little background, do you want to talk about kind of how you got into, I know you're mostly a, like a hunting focused podcast, but every summer I look forward to hearing all your fishing episodes because they come out. So if you just want to give like a little background on uh, how you got into hunting and fishing and then what you do now with the podcast and everything. 
Yeah. So how many hours do we have? <laughs> as long as you need. <laughs> uh, so I'm kind of a story of, uh, I was one of those kids that wanted to hunt and fish uh, ever since I was a little kid. My grandma actually bought me a field and stream. I come from a ranching background and my grandma on that side uh, bought me field and stream magazine, outdoor life magazine. And I was the kid that would always crease the little corners uh, in the magazine on the little tips or this, that, or the other on, you know, the secret fly or, and I didn't even know what all that meant. I was also the kid that would go into a tackle shop and, you know, stick my hand in the, you know, the plastic worms and, you know, feel them and just like, oh man. And I was one of those, you know, any chance that I got to go fishing, I just, I, I soaked it up, but I didn't, I wasn't exposed to it a lot. So um, that's why I love to take kids fishing now. I love to take new people fishing and, and, and you know, get them into the sport because I was kind of one of those that I wanted to get into it, but I didn't really have as much of the outlet that I would would have liked to have. Um, but at an early age, when I did get to go fishing, I was the kid that, you know, stood on the side of the bank with the Zebco 33 reel and I had my bobber and I had everything all lined up cause I had read about it in a magazine. And then I'd see the guy go by with the boat and, you know, had the outboard motor and he had, you know, then I'd watch him come in in four or five hours and have big stringer of trout. And I was just like, man, <laughs> if I could just get in that boat, I just want to fish. Um, and so for hunting and fishing, I've just had a passion since I was a little kid and, uh, very grateful for some of the people that were able to expose me to it and, and take me out and, and, um, the, you know, the passion for hunting and fishing both, uh, run as deep as it ever has. And, um, literally, uh, my wife would say that I am like a kid in a candy store. Uh, you know, every day I get to fish, hunt, do whatever. Uh, I just, I love it. So, you know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about where I'm going to fish next, what I'm going to fish, how I'm going to do it, what I'm going to do better. Uh, and the same thing with hunting. So it's, it's just uh, uh, a great, and you know, living in Arizona, it's a, it's a very arid state. Uh, it's, you know, not the most opportunistic state, like say Colorado here. So probably, oh, 15, well, it's been longer than that, probably close to 20 years now. I've been trying to spend the summers uh, in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, those types of places where I could uh, fish as much as possible. Yeah, it sounds like a the perfect escape to, you know, once it gets super hot down in Arizona, just come up into the mountains and kind of get to be in the outdoors year round. And you ski too a little bit, right? Yeah, I, I snow skied as a little kid growing up, um, probably till I was 20 years old, maybe just 22 or so. And then I laid off for 20 years. I say I went to work. And um, then about two years ago, I, uh, we bought this place here. We'd been renting in this valley for like eight years. And the place that we were renting came for sale. So I bought it and um, was able to ski last winter and, and or the winter before. And then this last winter, I only got seven days in. Um, that's a whole nother story, but I just love snow skiing as well. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'm all in, whatever I do, I go, you know, just hundred miles an hour and go as hard as I can. Uh, and, and not necessarily from a skill level, but more just from a passion level, just go for it. And uh, so, yeah, I enjoy snow skiing as well. It's nice. It fits right in with all the other seasons. You know, there's not much else taking up your time. And uh, That's exactly right. It's a great filler. Um, you know, with fishing season, people always ask, you know, would you rather hunt or fish? And I'm like, don't make me choose. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's funny. This summer, I've actually picked up golf again. I used to golf in high school and college, actually went 
had a small golf scholarship uh, and played a lot of golf and then gave it up for 20 years while I was working, doing my real estate business. And I've picked it back up this summer and just, just really enjoying golf as well. So yeah, I'm constantly doing something for sure. That's great. Just keeps you out and about. <laughs> keeps me out of trouble is what it does. <laughs> so do you have, do you do much fishing at all down in Arizona or is it pretty strictly separated? Like you save the fishing for when you come up here? Yeah. Um, you know, as arid as our state is in Arizona, we do have some really good fishing with Lee's Ferry. Uh, fished it a ton and, uh, you know, over a time period fished a lot. And, you know, we have some small creeks and lakes and that kind of thing. But, you know, compared to Colorado, it's nothing like what we have here. Uh, you know, it's that the opportunity in Colorado and, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming and, you know, wherever we end up going is way better than Arizona. Um, but Arizona's taught me a lot about fishing too. And, um, so, you know, I, I can't complain. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you guide fishing as well, or is that just hunting? So I'd have to go back to give you the exact, but about 20 years ago, I got my hunting and fishing guides license in Arizona. And the reason I got a fishing guides license is because it didn't cost me any more money. And all I had to do was take a, a fishing test. So I thought, well, I'm here. I might as well just get them both. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've never taken a, a actual guided fishing trip, uh, so to speak, in Arizona. And I'm not a licensed guide in Colorado for fishing, mainly just fish with family and friends. And, um, you know, uh, I my big joke now is I'll row the boat all you want, but you're tying your own flies and you're getting your own fish off the hook. And, and, you know, if, if people can't do that, then, then they need to, I always say, then they need to stay home and they laugh. Uh, but I'm not a, I'm not a licensed, I am a licensed guide, but I'm not an active guide as far as fishing, just hunting. Sure. Sure. And you do real estate as well, right? Professionally? Yeah. So real estate is my main business. Um, when I graduated from Arizona State University uh, in 19, I got my real estate license right out of college in 1997. And I worked really, really hard in uh, selling residential land in Northeast Scottsdale, uh, kind of a Northeast part of Phoenix. And um, Worked that market really, really hard from 2007 to 2008 when the market crashed and uh, was fortunate to have good timing and be in the right place at the right time. And then when the market crashed, was able to make some really good investments in some single family rental homes and other things, uh, you know, when the market had, you know, buying stuff at 10 cents on the dollar, 20 cents on the dollar. Um, so from a real estate perspective, the reason I'm able to do a lot of the hunting and fishing and stuff that I do is basically based directly or attributed directly to the success that I had in real estate. And I'm not near as active as I used to be. I still do a few deals here and there and I'm a, I'm a real estate junkie. So I'm always looking, I'm always messing with it. But, uh, you know, there was a, period of time from 07 to 08 where I was, you know, just hot and heavy. I still hunted and fished just as much, pretty much, but I worked a, a lot. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's got to be stressful trying to maintain a job, but then also trying to keep those passions alive. So, but it's a lot easier yeah. when things are stable. <laughs> the beautiful thing was the real estate business was pretty much, uh, I didn't do much acting as an agent. I was um, basically representing myself and buying and selling properties. So I was my own worst enemy in that you know, I had a million things going, but I still had to go fish and hunt and do all the different things, but I could do it 
Um, my wife would tell you I'm a workaholic. I work a lot. A lot of people see all my hunting and fishing. They're like, you don't work at all. I'm like, well, I mean, there's, there's uh, several ways to skin a cat, but uh, I like to stay busy for sure. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that between your hunting, fishing, golf, skiing, and, you know, actually having a job. Uh, Sounds pretty recreational, yeah. <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. You have a lot going on yeah. and you, you get out. I, I was... I, you know, one of the things with being a hunting guide, I was able to take, you know, the passion of hunting and, and become a professional guide. And it allows me to be in the field a lot and kind of justify to myself uh, the amount of time that I spend. And with my podcast, you know, um, it's just a it's just an extension of what I do. Uh, my wife says, you know, you're talking to your buddies on the phone all the time about hunting and fishing. So why not just talk to them on a podcast? And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So um, you know, that, that's just been a extension of, of what I do every day. Yeah. And it's, I feel like your podcasts are pretty thorough, uh, listening to yours. They're very information heavy, you know, and you'll go, yeah. to, you know, dive into one specific unit or just have guys come on who, you know, know so much. I have just, I usually listen to my podcast at like a higher rate of speed, but I need to slow yours down sometimes to take it all in. Well, it's one of those things I hope to not put too many people to sleep, but I'm super information heavy and education heavy. I like to interview people and I love being able to pull little nuggets and gems of information out of people. And I feel like I'm pretty good at that. I kind of have a niche for it, um, a knack for it, I guess I should say. Uh, and I've had some phenomenal guests and it's just been a real blessing to be able to, you know, help people. And, um, so I, I love doing it and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like information and education go a long way where, you know, I'm not an inter entertaining guy. I'm not a, you know, I, my wife says I have a radio face, so, <laughs> um, you know, we're doing here a video podcast, so we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, the podcast is just a great way for me to talk about the things that I love to do and, and pick people's brains and try and extract as much useful information for other people that I can out of it. Yeah, that's kind of how I got pulled into this as well. And I also have, you know, the, the site I post on weekly and it's just like a good way when like I, I, um, a couple of months ago severed a tendon in my foot. So I was, you know, wow. boot ridden for a while and couldn't really do much. And it was, it was really nice to have uh, like an outlet for me to feel like I was still, you know, interacting with what I want to be doing, even if I can't actually be out there. And it's just like yeah. really nice, you know, on any given day, I'm probably not, you know, going fishing, but I can still pretend I am, you know. Talking. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome to talk about the things you love for sure. Um, how's your foot now? It's better now. It's, I'm still in physical therapy, but I've resumed most normal activities. I was using that uh, medical boot as a wading boot for a while though. So it was, oh, uh, <laughs> it was foamy and it would suck up all the water and got really, I'm sure I just couldn't, couldn't wait. Can any you longer. say the word mildew? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, uh, thoroughly dried it out each night. So, okay. So good to go. But where have you been fishing recently? What's your main you know, river there? The, the roaring fork is probably my main river here. We've got about I guess about 40 miles of Roaring Fork from, you know, Aspen down to Glenwood Springs. And then it joins the Colorado there. And, you know, there's probably another 40, 50 miles from, you know, Glenwood all the way down to, you know, Parachute or below that. Uh, and then, you know, the Eagle River Valley, which is the next valley over. It's kind of the Vale Valley. 
I uh, fished the Eagle River a lot. Um, and then, like I said, this year was a phenomenal year up at the Green River um, below Flaming Gorge. I try and make two or three trips up there a summer. Uh, it's only four hour drive from here. And the cicada hatch this year was, I mean, it was something that I, it's the best cicada hatch fishing I've ever seen. Um, uh, it seemed like every trip I went, it just got better and better and better. And, you know, friends over there that guide, you know, they're saying they were, you know, catching fish on cicadas all the way through July, uh, which is, which is rare. Uh, but you know, the fish there at the green river, it's a tailwater and they're really big fish and, um, they see a lot of flies, but you know, if you're able to get the fly in the right spot, uh, and you know, throw what they're eating there, they'll just come up and smash it. If you've never been to a cicada or a true cicada hatch, um, I highly recommend the green river. It's phenomenal. Uh, and then the Gunnison Gorge uh, was, we did a trip down there, caught the salmon fly hatch, just perfect. That's what I was going to ask if you got to fish that. Yeah, I try and hit that every year. Um, you know, I've had some unbelievable mentors, uh, guides, buddies of mine, um, Eli and Hunter and and uh, Keaton and, and uh, Jake Kepler, some of those guys that have, you know, kind of took me under their wing and kind of showed me the ropes of that local water. Um, you know, the salmon fly hatch, what's, what's amazing about that, Katie, is uh, the golden stones are going off at the same time as the salmon flies. And, um, you know, there's, there's uh, Black, Black Canyon Anglers and then Gunnison River Expeditions. Those are kind of the two main guide services that'll take people down uh, the Gunnison Gorge. I highly recommend that to people. And, um, you know, if you can get a trip with Eli and, and Hunter, Jake or Keaton, uh, and they work at those two companies respectively. I highly, highly recommend a Gunnison Gorge trip. This is an amazing place. It's from Chucker Trail down to Pleasure Park. It's about a 14 mile float, um, which a lot of the guide services, they'll split it up in two nights in the canyon, three days of fishing. Um, we stayed, we just did a one overnight uh, there. And uh, a lot of times I'll just do it all in one day and just do a 14 mile float. But we pack my, I've got a little um, nine foot six uh, or nine foot eight, five foot wide uh, raft that I, it's 110 pounds with frame and we break it up between the frame and the, and the, the raft and take all our gear down there. Uh, and I row and my buddy fishes, uh, depending on which buddy's here. And uh, it's just an amazing place. You got it. You got to do it if you haven't done it. I haven't done it. And it, I'm jealous of your ability to uh, float. <laughs> Because I was, I was no. thinking maybe you were going to say that you went with those guide services, but I was like, I feel like he does it enough that it sounds like he's got access to something on his own. Well, I, I went with them and they kind of showed me the ropes, um, but I highly recommend Black Canyon Anglers and Gunnison River Expeditions. And if you could get any of those four guides, I know them personally and they're fantastic um, and they're way better at it than I am. They know the fish, they know the fishery, they know everything about, you know, everything about it so i highly recommend them but yeah it's an amazing place uh and you know usually we'll make a trip up to wyoming uh and fish around jackson hole we didn't this year uh just with the water being high just timing and everything it just didn't work out mm -hmm. have you fished anywhere else in wyoming i've only hit like the you know the casper area but I've jackson hole but never to fish yeah so i fished all around jackson hole uh fished um, you know, the, the snake, the South Fork of the Snake, which is in Idaho up over um, Driggs. And it's, it's an amazing river below um, Palisades Reservoir. 
that's it's not and it's actually in Idaho um, and then the the upper green uh, river uh, which is about an hour south of Jackson is an amazing fishery uh, and that is the same green that flows into Fontenelle Reservoir that then flows into um, Flaming Gorge Reservoir that then creates the ABC section that I was talking about on the cicada hatch. Um, so the upper green is a is a crazy amazing river as well. Um, starts out as this little river like most and then just turns into just you know the green river mm -hmm. it's a big big river going back to those uh the salmon fly hatch what a what are you usually catching on those and like what sizes roughly so usually i mean those salmon flies throughout the stage of the hatch they can kind of come in you know they come anywhere from like a four to six to eight um you know and so you're throwing something that's you know two inches long usually like a flush floater you know which is a type of fly that umqua the company umqua um sells it's called a flush floater salmon fly and you know you throw it out there you slap it on the water um you throw it in close to the the canyon walls a lot of times you're coming down river and you can actually see where a, a fish has grabbed a salmon fly and splat splattered water up on the wall oh, so you look for that and so you can kind of cast about two feet in front of that and that same fish is going to come hit your fly so i assume that there's like sheer canyon walls straight down into deep water there's not you know obviously it sounds like you can camp uh in certain areas as you go down but a lot of it's just that sheer cliff well there's a um, there's definitely a main canyon section, but, but within the canyon section, there is uh, areas where it's kind of alluvial and it's kind of opened up and there's maybe a couple small little tributary type drainages or creeks that come in and you get, you know, grassy banks and some of that stuff. So it's not all canyon walls out of the 14 miles. And then also above where everybody puts in on the Gunnison Gorge, there's I don't know exactly, but I think there's another 15 miles above that that's in the national park. Um, that's all for wade fishing. Uh, basically, you just wade, and it come, that that water comes out of Blue Mesa uh, Reservoir, and um, that can also be an amazing fishery with some access points. Like you can drive to the East Portal, and that's out of Montrose on the way to uh, Gunnison um and you know you'll get those salmon flies that start down low all the way down below pleasure park above delta and they'll run all the way up the canyon and then they'll run the whole stretch and i'm guessing it's close to 30 miles um all the way up to the head of the canyon uh you know almost up to the dam there at blue mesa reservoir so uh gunnison river is is a an amazing fishery for sure a lot of brown trout was known for rainbow trout a long time ago and then they got whirling disease and then uh the browns have really really taken over yeah that's what i picture when i picture the salmon fly hash is a lot of a lot of big browns um what time of year does it usually is it usually about two weeks long or am i off yeah yeah um those guys that i've that kind of taught me the ropes could probably tell you better but i mean normally it's prime for about two weeks uh but you know if if you're starting the progression of the hatch way down river uh where the water you've got 
you know, the North Fork of the Gunnison. You've got the Gunnison. It's got big muddy water basically. And so it's not extremely fishable till those bugs really kind of get in the canyon. Uh, but I would say from start to finish, about two weeks is a good guess for sure. And it's usually, uh, it's usually like the uh about the 5th of june till about the 25th of june okay. if i had to guess i mean you'll see sporadic bugs in late may and you'll see sporadic bugs probably into early july and then like i said the the crazy thing is the golden stones are also coming off at the same time and they're virtually the same size so oh really I mean, you could be throwing a, a golden stone or you could be throwing a salmon fly uh and those fish they get they'll smash it for sure. And I assume that there's really no point to fishing anything else during that. Like they're not, they're keying in on those big bugs. Yeah. Once they, I mean, once they kind of get a feel for that, they're, they're keyed in. Uh, you know, this year was interesting from what my guide buddies told me is that the, um, the nymphs, the fish were so keyed in on the nymphs. It took them a while to, to want to take the dries because the, salmon flies you know are crawling they're they're the largest of the stone fly and they're crawling out of the river bottom onto the shore to dry their wings and become an adult that the fish just start eating the nymph like crazy below the surface uh and it took them a while to to get on the dries but then once they get on the dries they're they're on them pretty good you know it's interesting here in the roaring fork valley we're known for our green drake hatch um and this year uh, with the water being so high, it kind of made the drakes, uh, it's, it's water temperature related, but the drakes just poured off, you know, basically from uh, below Glenwood, like it's Silt or Newcastle all the way up. Um, and, you know, at any given time, usually there's a progression of a hatch. It starts down low and works its way up. And every, you know, every day or so it's moved up a half mile or so. This year it was kind of like drakes were going off at all times at sporadic times for sure. Huh. I've I've fished drakes on the Roaring Fork a couple of times, only up like in Aspen area where yeah. it starts to get pretty pretty uh, small. Do you fish it up there at all, or are you more like the big big river down lower toward Glenwood? I like I like it all. Um, but you know the interesting thing about the Roaring Fork is it's a it's a true freestone river. So I mean you get up by Aspen and it, it takes on a whole new kind of, you know, pocket water, um, you know, like Jaffe park and, and above there where it's pocket water and, and a kind of a small Creek, small stream, although it's not called the roaring fork for nothing. I mean, it, it roars that, you know, small river, but it, it really can, um, kick out some water. And then you get further down by Glenwood and it's, you know, a wider river and, um, you know, more glassy and smooth and, you know, so it, it just kind of depends what kind of mood I'm in. Right. And the, going off what you said about it, definitely roaring, I can attest to that. And when I think of, um, some of the hardest rivers to wade in terms of how slippery they are, the, yeah. the rocks in that river are just round and extremely slick. And I've gone through there more than once, you know, arms linked with other people. So if someone goes out, then you know, everyone's there to catch them, especially when the water's yeah. high. Yeah. And right now those rocks are so, so slick. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I imagine they're going to be getting even more slick with the moss and such on them. You know, up high, there's not a lot of moss on the rocks because the water's, you know, the gradient is the water's going fast enough that the moss just can't grow. But, you know, down 
from say Carbondale down to Glenwood, there's quite a bit of moss and the rocks are very, very slick. Interesting this year in, uh, let's see, it must've been around 4th of July. First time this ever happened to me rowing in my big boat. I just took a friend of mine's kids uh, for a fun float and we floated from uh, the ranch here where I live down to West Bank, which is about halfway between Carbondale and Glenwood. We were middle of the river and I kept hearing what I thought was rocks rolling. Well, it was, it was the rocks on the bottom of the river, literally going and, and felt like they sounded like they were going faster than the 13 foot raft I was rowing. So that was the first time I've ever actually heard rocks consistently rolling in the middle of the river. And, you know, it was, I want to say that day it was flowing at like, I don't know, seven or 8,000 CFS and, and uh, those, those river rock were, it was amazing to hear them. It was so cool. Just sound like literally you were rolling rocks down a, down a cliff face. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And I would, you know, obviously you were in a boat, but definitely don't want to get in the water when that's happening. <laughs> no, I'm sure the fish were like, what the heck is going on and hugging the bank tight, you know, trying to just survive. Uh, you know, and that, that actually was really good. I think for the fish this year, they got a big long break between, you know, what we call mud season and the water was so high for so long, the fish are pretty healthy and hot. And, um, we had some really good fishing once the water came down. Yeah. I'm wondering how the, like the high Alpine fish are doing. Cause I, there's been a couple lakes that have just iced out, or I don't know if there's still any with uh, ice on them, but in the past couple of weeks, I know some were still losing their ice, which just seems like they're not going to get a very big window this year. Yeah, that's true. Um, I've had some buddies that have done quite a bit of fishing for, you know, in high mountain lakes for cutthroat and stuff and said, it's been a fantastic year. Uh, but yeah, some of those really, really high lakes, um, definitely that those fish are probably feeding like crazy because they've been cooped up uh, for all spring and then they know winter's coming. Right. <laughs> Not far off now. I mean, I guess it depends on how this winter goes. It could, you know, it could start in December. It could start in October. So yeah, it's crazy right now. It feels like, you know, the old timers call it like an Indian summer where it's mm -hmm. just this just um, hot, you know, normally by, by about the 15th of August in this valley, you know, we'll have at overnight lows kind of in the high 30s, low 40s. I mean, it's it's been like 52 to 55 for seemed like the last month. So yes, I feel fall coming, but it it's still really, really warm. I mean, normally it's like 75. It's, you know, it's still 88 to 90 degrees. Yeah. Well, I've seen a couple uh, trees down here starting to slightly change their colors. And I'm like, I think you're a little premature because it seems like there's not much sign of cooling down yet. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. You know, this this valley is an amazing valley to um, see the leaf change. And, you know, especially up by Aspen, you get just unreal. And then, you know, going over towards Gunnison, anybody ever looking to go look at some awesome um, Aspen leaf change, you know, color change, uh, drive that Kebler Pass uh, basically from would be from Carbondale up by Redstone over the top uh, uh, going into uh, going into Crested Butte. Uh, just amazing uh, uh, forest, I guess you will, of Aspen that's just out of this world. Yeah, we've gotten caught in a couple um, traffic jams going over Kenosha Pass the past mm -hmm. couple of years because that just, I mean, it, that's already a busy place to go hike and everything during the summer, but um, I've been I've been stuck in hour-long traffic jams just because people are crossing the road up there trying to get back and forth between the different sides of the trail. Yeah, but yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Colorado's beautiful in the fall for sure. 
Yeah, I know. It's awesome when you can, I, like I said, we usually go over to the frying pan um, usually once or twice a year. And lately we've been doing it more in the fall just because the crowds are a little lower and the, you know, it's a little cooler out, but that Canyon just lights up in the fall, you know, the, oh, the sun on the red, amazing. red Canyon and all those leaves. So my buddies over there that fish it quite a bit say that um, the green drakes have already started. The PMDs are really going with the drakes, you know, they'll expect them all the way through September. So if you can get out there, I know you'll probably be doing some elk hunting, but uh, uh, the drakes, they're saying it's going to be a phenomenal drake year over on the frying pan. All right, yeah, I'd love to make it over there. I think we're not going to make it over until probably late October. Okay. Um, we go and do the pumpkins where, you know, people leave pumpkins all through the canyon and everything. Um, it's just nice to be out there when there's, when there's fewer people, but by that time, I feel like there's kind of a hodgepodge, like sometimes we'll still be getting some PMDs coming off, depending on how warm it gets. Um, some streamer fishing, I don't know, just, it's like a hodgepodge time of year. I feel like depending on how the summer goes, there's some huge fish in that river too. There are unbelievable. I feel like my average fish size has gone down there over the years. I first fished it in, I think 2012. And I feel like at that point, it was almost every fish I caught out of that river was, was pretty large. And the past two or three years, I've noticed um, some smaller ones, like maybe 10 ish inches, which I feel like is a, it was a bit smaller than I had in the past there. Yeah. You know, one, that is a good sign though. For one thing, if the fish are smaller, you probably have a lot more fish that are naturally reproducing and such. So, I mean, it's, I, I, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah, the fish are smaller, but there's probably some good reproducing going on there. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I've also I've also kind of tried to commit more to trying to fish dries there, and I feel like that could that could be a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah. if you want to if you want to catch the big ones, you should probably stay subsurface a little longer. Down but, and dirty. Yeah. But I just I I love you know there's so many pockets in that river that you can just like spot and just watch your dry just drift right over it, and I just I'd rather do that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny, fly fishermen, at least uh, speaking for myself, you go through stages where you just want to catch every river, catch every fish in the river. Then you want to catch them all on streamers. Then you want to catch them all on dries. You know, it's, it's, it's an, that's the thing I love about fly fishing is there's so many aspects to it. Um, No matter what you're using, you can figure out a way to catch them. And, and, you know, part of the strategy and the tactic of, you know, the setup and, you know, where to cast, how to cast, how to drift um, tight line, you know, high stick and whatever, uh, you know, now with the Euro nymphing craze and, you know, there's just so many ways you can be a total junkie. And that's, that's why I like fly fishing. I, I tend to lean towards being a streamer junkie and being a dry fly junkie myself. Uh, but there was a time, uh, I used to just love to go down and dirty and nymph like crazy and, and catch every fish in the river. And, and, uh, so there's a time for everything, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of a choose your own adventure every time you go out. And I don't, I wouldn't say that I only subscribe to one thing or the other, but um, when given the choice, I like to throw dries. But, you know, most, most days, especially in the pan, I start the morning with a couple nymphs down below and I do streamers occasionally, but it's probably my least used fly. There's just something about, you know, whether it be dries or streamers for me, watching fish come and hit your fly, you know, whether it be a slow take on a hopper, or, you know, a sporadic, you know, caddis rise or, you know, a sipper on a mayfly. Um, and then, you know, you get those fish chasing streamers, the visual aspect, you know, I'll fish a, I'll fish a streamer that I can see over fishing a streamer that I'll catch more fish on just because of the visual aspect, you know, fish a white streamer, 
um, that I can see a fish chase rather than fish a dark, even though maybe the day that, you know, it's going to call for a dark, just because I love to watch the visual aspect of trout feeding uh, on my fly mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah. And especially those waters over there, they're so clear. You can often, you know, watch a fish rise over and over and over again. And you get to know, I feel like you get to know that fish, you know, you could be sitting there for half an hour trying to get him to, yeah. but you know, if you finally do get it, you're like, it's a very satisfying feeling to know which fish you're going after. Yeah. You know, I learned, um, that when I was in New Zealand, I was over there for two weeks and got to fish nine days. And, you know, it's a totally different story over there because there's very few fish. Um, you're hunting for the fish, you're trying to watch and find the fish and, you know, you may go a half mile and, and there not be any other fish. Uh, and then you may get a shot or two at that fish and he's spooked and you got to go another half mile to find a fish. So I, you know, we have it, pretty good here i think in the west and the numbers of fish and the size of fish that we have uh you know we have some amazing rivers here in the west yeah i've i've been hearing that about new zealand my my friend's going there in a month or two and she's looking forward to it but we were talking about i was like i think you know there's it's supposed to be like you get one or two shots a day at fish but if you do catch one it's going to be the biggest fish you've ever caught did you have any luck down there yeah, we caught some really big fish, uh, really big brown trout. And, you know, um, I'd love to go back. I, I keep telling my wife I'd like to go back for like a month or more where I can really spend time and not feel like I'm rushed. Uh, you know, I felt like before I, I, I was there for two weeks and did fish nine days. But, you know, I would love to go for like a month and fish, you know, 15, 18 days, but feel like I could space it out and you know, really give it my all on the days that I was fishing. Uh, but if you get a chance to go, it's, it's, it's unreal place for sure. We were on the South Island and, you know, crystal clear water, uh, in most of the places we fished and there are just some absolute giant fish there. So did you take a guide or is that a place you can do DIY? I picture it being hard to figure out because there's so few opportunities, but it also sounds like maybe you just walk until you, you know, find one. Yeah, I actually went um, all the time with a guide the nine days that I did fish. I actually booked a trip through the best of New Zealand fly fishing. Um, and this goes back to 2005. So it's been quite a while, but we, we, we had an amazing trip uh, and it was very well planned out and the guides were fantastic. And I think it is a place where you could go and do some DIY. Again, I think it's probably a place where if you could go for a month or so and really devote the time to just kind of messing around and a little bit of trial by air type of thing. You know, when you go on a shorter window, you feel like if you're just blowing a day, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to take. Um, but the Kiwi guides, they were, they were fantastic for sure. I was in New Zealand in 2014, I think, but, um, I was there because I had been studying abroad in Australia. So I just took a, you know, quick trip over there for eight or nine days. Uh, unfortunately, so I, you know, the trip was not for New Zealand. The trip was for studying abroad. So I wasn't planning my time or anything, but I was super excited to fish. And then right before I left, I was like, wait a minute, it's the opposite of, of the Northern hemisphere. And I got there and it wasn't just that, um, the fishing wasn't good that time of year. It was that it was mostly closed because it was yeah. spawning season and they wouldn't let you fish for them. So I got to fish in one of the lakes I was near. Um, I didn't catch anything. I was just kind of winging it cause I wanted to, you know, give it a shot and just say yeah. I fished New Zealand, but yeah, I didn't catch anything. And 
um, I'd encourage anyone going to remember that the seasons are not the same as they are here. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, that's one of the nice things when it's cold here, you can go down there and it's warm and, and vice versa. So, uh, yeah, that's cool that you studied in Australia. That's I haven't gotten to Australia yet, but it's definitely on my list. I I keep hearing more and more about um, Australian fly fishermen, you know. Yeah, I do too. Uh, fishing for like Murray cod and, you know, all this yeah. they have over there. So that'd be a cool thing to check off the list. Definitely. Well, um, Jay, I can let you get going soon because I know we've been going for a while here, but um, if there's anything else you want to mention about, you know, fishing in the Glenwood area or about your um, hunting services or real estate or anything, feel free to throw out some plugs for yourself. Well, I, you know, um, anybody that's out there listening, uh, you know, if they're not familiar with this uh, Roaring Fork Valley or the Eagle River Valley, uh, you know, with the towns of Vale, Aspen, Glenwood Springs, it's a fantastic area, even over at Gunnison or, or down to Montrose. Uh, there's so much fishing in central Colorado and south southwestern Colorado. I highly encourage you guys to just come out and check it out. There's lots of great fly shops, lots of great guides in this area. Um, and, you know, lots of resources where you could get on and find a lot of places to fish DIY as well. So, um, you know, we've got, like I said, the green dray catch, uh, you know, in this valley, you've got phenomenal caddis hatches as well. So to all your listeners out there, um, come check it out. It, it is a beautiful area. And um, yeah, just uh, want to thank you for having me on and um, congratulate you on the success of your podcast. Um, it's uh, awesome to see you doing well and, and uh, flourishing with this uh, venture of yours. Uh, so that's, that's really, really cool. And um, yeah, uh, you know, if anybody wants to um, hear any more about, I guess they can come on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. Um, and then I also have a podcast. You can find it on iTunes, jscottoutdoors podcast. So I uh, just appreciate you thinking of me and I love uh, chatting, hunting and fishing. So um, hats off to you for, for, uh, doing this great podcast that you do. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, I would definitely encourage anyone to go check out your podcast too, because it's, it's a lot of hunting, but there's also a lot of really good fishing tidbits right in the middle of the summer there. Yeah. You know, um, a couple years ago, I did one that I still get a lot of comments on. I don't know if you listened to it, Katie. I did a, uh, floating down the river on the green river i mic'd up uh, my friend who's a guide with spinnerfall guide service uh, colby crosland and um still get comments about a cool podcast where i was fishing and my friend mj was fishing and colby was you know basically guiding uh doing his guide talk we're buddies so he wasn't guiding but um you know like throw it here and this and that and the other and and uh, it made for a really exciting podcast episode from what people tell me. Yeah, I do remember that one. That was pretty cool. You've done a couple of those like live on the water ones. So yeah. uh, anyone who wants to go uh, like join on a trip with you guys, just go listen yeah. in on those ones. Sounds good. Right. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. God bless you and, and uh, keep up the great work. Yeah, thanks. You too, Jay. All right. And that'll do it for episode number two. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and go over to the Wild Initiative podcast. That's where all my episodes are coming out right now. So Go ahead and subscribe there, and my episodes will also live on fishuntamed.com in addition to weekly backcountry fly fishing articles. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at fishuntamed or on Go Wild under my name, Katie Burgert. Uh, and I will be back here next week. So, till then, have a good one. <laughs>